You are listening to the In Perspective Weekly Podcast with Bob Branco and Peter O'Toole. Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to In Perspective. My name is Bob Branco for episode 277 on Friday, September 30th, 2022. With us, as always, our good friend and co-host, Peter Alchil. Peter, what's happening? We're having a string of fabulous weather here in, in Columbia, just just fabulous fall weather. We're not wildly optimistic about Missouri's chances against Georgia in college football, but, you know, hey. Uh, and I do want to wish everybody well in Florida and, and South Carolina and North Carolina who are experiencing the Hurricane Ian. It sounds absolutely dreadful. So our prayers are with you all. Yes, indeed. Our hearts go out to those of you who have endured power outages and evacuations and just the just a terrible time down there in Florida, and we just hope that the recovery period doesn't last too long, that everything will be back to normal sooner rather than later. And, of course, we have to remember those in the Carolinas who are going to feel the brunt of Ian today and I think part of tomorrow. We in New England are going to be receiving the remnants of Ian. We'll likely get a bunch of heavy showers and wind tomorrow evening. So without further ado, let me thank those people. And by the way, Raymond Gay, our producer, I know he's from Florida, and we thank God that he is safe and well-protected. He's responsible for producing our show. Thank you, Ray. I also want to thank Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place, who posts in perspective on Bulletin Board 15 on that chat line. I also want to thank the media sources for airing our program when they do. Thank you very much. And also... Last but not least, Jacqueline Sylvia of JS Web Solutions. She archives in perspective on my website, which is www.brancoevents.com. Thank you for that, Jackie, very much. We have a returning guest to In Perspective, somebody that you are most likely familiar with. He's been on our show several times in the past. He's an author. He's been a security guard for a long time. His name is Robert Sollers. But he's here today to talk about a personal experience that he had this summer. Robert, it's a pleasure having you back on In Perspective. Welcome. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. So Robert, Robert, go ahead, Peter. I was just going to say, so Robert, before we get into your personal experience, uh, it probably would help us all to remember what you were doing prior to your personal experience. So I'll talk about sort of the work you were doing, the life you were living before what happened to you happened. Well, I, you know, I, I still have my company. Fowler's violence prevention. So I'm still working on that aspect of it, but I've been blind for about 20 years and uh, I've persisted in trying to help save lives all the way through. And basically I was do- doing it what I normally do, writing and talking and all that kind of good stuff. Okay. So you're doing that. And then what happens? How do well, things begin to go awry? You could call it that. Yes. In January, I was coming out of the bedroom, I believe, and I was headed up the hallway, and I twisted my ankle, my right ankle, and it just kind of laid over flat on the floor. It was a tad bit uncomfortable to walk and do that for a day or so, but I didn't think nothing of it. And, it, you know, I put an ankle brace on it. Everything got better. And then sometime in, usually, I think it was about the 1st of March, it started to get, the bottom of my foot started to get really, really sore. My wife checked out the bottom of my foot. Couldn't see anything. There was no bump or anything else on the bottom of my foot. There was no redness, no nothing. It was just sore to walk on. And, you know, we figured it would go away. And she rubbed some hemp vana and stuff like that on it. And, you know, it helped a little bit, but as much as I would have hoped. You know, I'm obviously taking Tylenol and stuff too. But And then on March the 24th, I started having hallucinations and my wife called the paramedics and they took me to the hospital and found out that I had what can only be listed as a massive infection in my foot. Um, They went in and they finally drained it and they ended up getting, I think they said four to five ounces of pus off out of my foot. Which accumulated in two months or so. It had accumulated in just two months. The only explanation anybody could give me as for why that happened was when I twisted my ankle, I didn't sever, but I had constricted and crimped the blood vessels and therefore the bacteria that normally built up in your, you know, tissues and everything was not able to escape. So they cleaned it out like three times 
And finally, they, you know, the doctor, I seen the doctor and he said, you have a choice. We can keep doing this for two years at least to see if that's going to work, which I don't think it will. Or we can go ahead and take off your leg, you know, below the knee. And that'll take care of the whole thing because it was starting to work its way up the bone to the infection. Yeah. So, 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 so I'm trying to sort of not visualize this, but sort of the whole thing sounds as a, as a civilian and all this makes is sort of weird. So you're living your normal life, right? And you're, yep. you're doing your thing. You're, you're presumably walking quite a bit, right? You're making, oh, yeah, yeah. You're, and having some pain, I would imagine, but you're able to, to plow through it. Mm-hmm. What, what sort of, I mean, what sort of slowed it down? I mean, how did you, I mean, the idea of you sort of going from one part of your life to sort of having to go to the hospital, it just, just sort of puzzles me. How did that all work out? Well, when I started having the hallucinations, when my wife called the paramedic and that's when I went, I mean, you know, she knew that there was definitely something wrong when I couldn't exactly figure out where I was or what I was doing. May I ask what the hallucinations were from? I or don't know. What were the hallucinations? <laughs> what were you hallucinating about? I think Peter's dropping acid now, too. That's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but no, they, I had a wide range. Uh, part of it was a, you know, I was got caught up in this weird kind of thing where I was going to go out and sell stuff. And then, you know, I decided not to do that. And my wife and my best friend were uh, joined this gym and I was back there. And then I was on a train, riding a train back and forth across the country. And I was with uh, Paladin, the old TV show, Richard Boone. And I was in there. I kept dreaming that I was in a an army barracks and had fallen asleep on post. The only thing, you know, they just kept saying, are you, you know, I woke up. And they said, are you okay? Let me call the captain or the lieutenant. I had two or three of those. And there was others, too, where I was in a movie theater and some kind of a really weird sci-fi movie, which I would have enjoyed. But through all every time that I even woke up in jail and I, you know, my wife, Eileen, came in to get me out of jail. Um, I was in basically the morgue of a hospital which kept switching back and forth from one I knew back home to one down here in Arizona. And through all of it, every time I basically would wake up, my right foot would be against the bottom of the bed, the the rail down there, and it would be very uncomfortable pressing against that rail. And obviously that's where the infection was. Um, So, you know, that's just part of it. I mean, I... I've got now I'm going to end up writing a novelette here pretty soon. I'm just trying to get all the notes together. What I, you know, where I was, what the hallucinations were and all this other stuff. And so, uh, those last, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. So it sounds like very much like an LSD trip to me. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it truly does. Do you have any idea what caused, I mean, infection? How did the, yeah, and that, see, that's just it. You know, nobody can tell me how the infection got started mm-hmm. because again, there was, there was no puncture wounds. I didn't step on anything. Um, you know, there was no outward signs of an infection in my foot. It, the only thing that had happened was I had my ankle in January. That's it. But, but I guess my, up, my, my question about, about, about the hallucinations, if I can say that in a, with a straight face. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's one thing to have this infection. It's another thing to have these hallucinations. How are the two connected? Do you have any sense as to how well, you're? got to your brain because obviously well yeah it just traveled through what my blood system is the only thing i can think of i mean yeah i had a lot of problems when i was in the hospital after this i was having the hallucinations i got the same problem you do (laughs) Uh, (laughs) my kidneys almost my new used kidney almost died while i was in the hospital because my bun level was way too damn high and they had to dialyze me your new used kidney yeah, well, yeah, I had the transplant back in 2014, and that one it was dying. I mean, because my BUN level was way too. I was supposed to be down below 30 or something, and I, mine was up over 80. Um, I had fevers, I had nights, you know, throwing up the whole works. I mean, you know, and nobody could give me a realistic ex- explanation as to how I got the infection. Well, so, I, 
how the how the infection traveled so fast throughout your body. I mean, you know, that's the other thing. I mean, obviously, it was a scary it must have been a scary thing for you to be in that hospital with all this weird stuff happening to you. To be honest, Peter, no, it wasn't. It wasn't to me. It wasn't scary. I was just, I was just trying to figure out what in the world is going on here. Sure. Something's wrong, but what is it? Yeah. I mean, to be and to be honest, Peter, I don't get scared that easy of stuff. Whether it be myself or somebody else, I get more scared for somebody else than I do for me. I understand that. That that makes sense to me. Uh, okay, so you're having all these weird effects, and the and the hospital's trying to figure this stuff out. And the doctor says to you, either we ampu- amputate your foot below the knee. Is that, is that what is that what he said? Basically, or, yeah. Yeah. Or basically, we're we're going to keep doing this for the next couple of years, draining and all this stuff. Yeah. And- when they drain it, they have to going to go in and clean it out with Dakin's solution, which if you don't know, Dakin's solution is bleach, regular bleach that you put in the washer. They just water it down. Sometimes it's 5%, sometimes 10, other times even less. So, and that's what they clean out the infections. Is, is that painful? I mean, you know, when, when you're, when that's, the, when, you know, when they're cleaning out the infection. Well, for, again, to me, it wasn't, it wasn't right. that bad. It was, it was very, it was tolerable. I know other people that, you know, would scream at it. Then again, too, other people scream when, you know, they get splinters in their fingers or something. Well, that, that's true. So, so, so you had this choice to make. Yeah. How easy was it for you to make that choice? Well, for me, it was a fairly easy choice. I wanted to get on with my life and spending two years, you know, going up to the doctor or the hospital and having this thing cleaned out. I mean, that takes forever. How often? Uh, I think it was just once a week is what they were talking about. But still, that, you know, you spend two or three hours, you know, you got the entire day shot. So, so really, it really, it really is a two or three hour process to clean out that, that, uh. Yeah, it takes, it takes about an hour to clean it off and they gotta, you know, they do this and that and all kinds of other stuff too. The, you know, make sure it's clean and make sure you're okay and, you know, before and after and all that kind of stuff. So when did they, if at all, diagnose this sudden spread of whatever it was to your bones, to your blood? When did they finally diagnose what that was? Five days after they admitted me to the hospital because the doctors kept arguing over what it could be. Some said it was just a diabetic infection and no big deal, penicillin to take care of it or antibiotics. The other doctor said, well, no, it's it's going up through the bone. And the other doctor said, no, there's you know stuff in there. And finally, the one doctor who came back off of vacation looked at it and says, no, we're doing, we're going to clean it out. And he, you know, the next day they cut open my foot and drained all this stuff out. And it went from the ball of my foot all the way back to my heel. As, as a medical civilian, I'm not a doctor or a medical professional. It seems to me if you're having hallucinations, I said it right this time. If you're having <laughs> hallucinations and you're, and you're having all these other symptoms, it, it doesn't strike me as a typical diabetic infection. Maybe I'm wrong. It, you know, it's, no. it's actually a little more serious than that, but what do I know? Well, you know, you're right. I mean, hallucinations aren't normally part of what a diabetic has to go through if they either they crash or, you know, other types of infections and that kind of stuff. And there are certain infections where you do get hallucinations, whether you're diabetic or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I've known certain people, you know, when Eileen was in the hospital, my wife, one time she was having all kinds of hallucinations and it had nothing to do with her diabetes. It was because she couldn't breathe very well. She mm-hmm. wasn't getting enough oxygen to her brain. So I think basically they just discounted the idea of the hallucinations said, you know, let's concentrate on what's going on with the foot and, you know. Yeah. Okay. So, so, um, so they diagnosed it. You decided to have your uh, foot slash leg, part, bottom of your leg amputated. What uh-huh. happened next? What happened next? Well, I basically told myself, you know, and the doctor was an ex-Marine doctor. And I simply told him outright, I made the decision when he said it, you know, it's either that or the two years. I told him I had no qualms about it. I said, let's take it off. I would much rather have an Appomattox rather than a Waterloo. And basically meaning that Waterloo was where Napoleon got his butt kicked horribly you know, and he had to give it up. Appomattox was peaceful and they were treated. Uh, Robert E. Lee and the entire Southern Army that was with him got treated with dignity and respect when he did. And that's what I wanted. I wanted to get on with my life. And I just said, let's do this. So it was, it was just um, it was about a week later or so that they went ahead and took it off. And then I went to rehab after that. And, you know, it didn't bother me in the least. Everybody else was all upset about it and everything. And, 
you know, but I just decided, you know, I can't, I can't wallow in this. I've got to be myself, let everybody else feel sad and bad and all this other stuff. And they gave you a prosthetic, I imagine. Yes, they did. It took me, it took a few weeks to get that. And I'm still learning how to use it because I developed a blister on the bottom of my stumpy, um, after wearing it the first day. So, and I had to let that heal and do all that stuff, but it was only a water blister. Thank goodness. So, so they, they put you in rehab. What was that like? To be honest, the rehab hospital I was in, it was, it was absolutely fantastic. The people, the nurses, the aides and everything were absolutely wonderful. The therapists that were helping me out were absolutely wonderful. The food was restaurant quality food. Really? Oh yeah. I mean, it was fantastic. You know, so if I needed to talk to somebody about anything, you know, I, there was always somebody there where they would come in and, you know, talk to me or get what I needed or whatever the case may be. Show, tell me where it was at or whatever. So, so I hated to leave there. <laughs> so one of the issues that has been up for discussion is the whole issue of blind folks and their, their challenges with the medical system. Our, our, our challenges with the medical system because of the lack of sensitivity of medical professionals. It sounds like you didn't have that particular issue with that particular place. At the rehab hospital, no, I didn't. Okay. Uh, at the regular hospital, my wife and I barked, literally barked incessantly to get anybody to listen, be it the nurses, be it the doctors, or anybody else. And they still didn't listen. What weren't no. they listening to? Everything. You know, because, you know, they say, well, you're diabetic. You only get two units of insulin over a certain amount. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not what I'm used to taking. You know, they didn't, you know, the diabetic educated, they're all um, locked into what the manual says. They're, they don't take individuals into account when there's something wrong. Everybody has to be locked into this certain area. And if you don't lock into that area, then they don't know what to do. Yeah, it's true. And that, that, that was my issue. And when we finally made a very large and vocal complaint to the, I think it was the director of nursing or something. I mean, for a couple of days after that, they were just jumping all over me every time I hit the cold. And that was in the regular hospital, not the rehab. So, so do, you have, do you have any idea, because your experiences you're describing in your rehab places, from what I've heard, really unusual, that folks who are blind have all kinds of trouble with, you know, with getting the support they need and independence that they need and all that kind of stuff. Do you have any sense as to what made that place more amenable to your needs than other places? No, I, I mean, other than the fact they just had opened here in this past January. Yeah. I mean, oh, that's they, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they had just opened and they, I mean, all the rehab stuff that they needed was right there. Um, the uh, exercise equipment, they had mock-ups of cars for you to get into, but they, they treated people of all sorts, not, you know, they've had strokes, TBIs, amputations, the whole, I mean, you know, uh, mental issues as well. Sure. They were helping them to rehab themselves. So, to be honest, they had to have a certain amount of empathy and sympathy for the people that were there, or they would, you know, they didn't up like the first rehab hospital I went to, which was, I'm not even going to go into how bad that was. So, well, because you hit the call, I, if you had to go to, for me, I couldn't, I wasn't supposed to get up out of bed before the amputation because of my foot. I'd hit the call light and it would be six hours before somebody came in to help me go to the bathroom mm. or change the bed by that point. So, so, talk, so talk about your progress in the in the rehab center. You know, what was that like? You obviously needed to do certain things to be able to get home. Yeah, uh, you yeah. Know. So, so what were the kinds of things they you sort of had to learn well, how to do? Well, they were, were there? they were had the exercise equipment. They were helping me build up my upper body with the. Uh, I guess they wanted to call it a bike, but you know, it's got like you got pedals on your feet, and then you're moving your arms back and forth. Almost, um, I don't know how you want to put that, but to build up your upper body. They had parallel bars that I was standing up with and walking with on one foot with. And uh, I did fall once, but that's because my knee gave out. I didn't have a therapist or anything. And my wheelchair was just about two inches too far back for me to land in it. So, <laughs> you know, that, that was my fault. I can't, I'm not going to blame the therapist for any of that stuff. But um, And how, how was it like not having a, a foot? I mean, you mentioned sort of having phantom pains and things like that. What, yeah. what was that kind of, you know, what was that like? That's awfully weird. After I got home, I got up out of bed in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and I fell flat on my nose. 
Because I even with the prosthetic on you. No, not with the prosthetic. They told me you can't sleep with your prosthetic on. How come? So, for some reason or another, they don't want you to sleep with it because, first of all, the day, the doggone thing weighs about ten pounds. You start flopping around on the bed with ten pounds, you know, your wife's going to have bruises or a broken leg. Oh yeah. Okay. So you know, I, I take I could take that off. But when I would get up, I would forget that I didn't have my right leg, and I'd just head off towards the bathroom. Unfortunately, there was nothing to step on on my right leg. So I went down. That happened probably three or four times in the first couple of weeks I was home. And they had me side rails on the beds in the hospital and the rehab. So I couldn't get up that easy. I always had to call somebody to come help me. Now, Robert, I've heard reports from other people in your situation that sometimes when a leg or a foot is amputated, and I think this is what you meant by phantom pain, but Uh also could there be phantom in other areas, like in other words, you have no nerves there anymore because the foot's gone, yeah. but you feel as though you have them, and that might be the deceiving part of you, even though you forgot your prosthetic when you went to the bathroom. You probably, and I don't know this unless you answered me properly, you know, <laughs> your own experience, is that when you went to the bathroom those three or four times, did it feel like you had a foot while you were walking? There are times when it does, yeah. I mean, I had... I kept telling my wife my ankle it scratched my ankle when I was in the hospital. And obviously it's, you know, amputated well above where my ankle and my foot were. Well, you know, my right toe hurts. Wiggle it. <laughs> and I was sitting there and I was, I could actually feel my toes wiggling even without them there. Now again, I mean obviously I really wasn't doing it, but you know, I wonder what way. the medical explanation is for that. The phantom pain. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, I mean, what is the science behind phantom pain? Did you ever ask or? I did, and they just said it's your nerves haven't adjusted yet. Yeah, I, mean, I guess it takes a it takes a while for the nerves to adjust to the to the new situation, right? Yeah, it does. I mean, it, they take a long time. I didn't think it took that long, but it took about two hours to take off. Well, it's right about ten to twelve inches below my knee that they took off. All the way down to my foot, which I mean, when you look at the overall thing of it, that's all, that's not all that much, but it took them a good two hours to take that off and put me into recovery because of the extensiveness of what they have to do. So, and that could be part of it too. They try to make sure the blood vessels are all working right and the nerves are all tucked up and, you know, the bones cut far enough up and this and that and something else. So how, how long were you in rehab for? I was there for 10 days, I believe. Maybe, yeah, just about 10 days. And That's they, a short period of time. It doesn't, it, sound like a, it doesn't sound like a yeah, long period of time. So what adjustments were made when you got home? You know, so you got out of rehab. You got some support, right? You, you got some oh, yeah. Upper, yeah. upper body strength, and you had a great experience. And then you come home. What, what, what accommodations or what adjustments were made so you could function at home? Well, it's just, for the most part, getting in and out of the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to use a slide board to get that you put on the both the wheelchair and under your butt to be able to slide into the wheelchair, depending on what the height differential is, the bed or chair or whatever. And the other one is not being able to get up and go to the bathroom when you want it. I mean, I couldn't get up and go to the bathroom no matter what. So, you know, I had to use the puddle pads and the urinals and all this other stuff and, you know, for that amount of time. So I, I'm, uh, I don't know how, how, how well you can answer this question, but I, you know, obviously, you know, you wake up, you have to go to the bathroom and you, you couldn't, you fell flat in your face, obviously. <laughs> yes. Well, well, I mean, I guess it was habit, right? I mean, yeah. you knew your, your, your foot was gone, yet you had the sense you still could do it. It's sort of a hard term for me for me to sort of grasp. What, what's that oh, about? I know. Well, again, you know, when you wake up in the middle of the night, you know, 11, midnight, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, you don't think about it. You just exactly. get up and go. Yeah. yeah. And that's exactly what it was. You know, mm-hmm. I did. I never thought that I didn't have a, a, a right leg anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just got up and to go. And, you know, that was, you know, it was just an automatic reaction, just like you're talking or breathing or something else. Just something you do. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. It just it's just it must have been weird. You know, getting up and all of a sudden you're, you're on your face. And then I guess you have to get your wife or somebody to help you or how, how, how do you, 
Yeah, well, well, my wife was having issues with her own feet at the time, so we ended up calling the fire department. I got to know the paramedics on a first-name basis when they got me back into bed. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, they, you know, it was – it is a unique experience. If you've never had to experience it or you've seen people not, you know, had to help people that have had an amputation, you know, you might be able to understand it a little bit. You know, like my wife, she understands us all too well at this point. That's why we're so worried about her right foot. And mm-hmm. thank goodness it's getting better. She's not going to have have to have her paw cut off because of an infection. She's been fighting hers for two years. But we know what caused it, and that, but that's not a big deal. So we know how to take care of it. But, you know, it's just it's really weird not just not to have it. You know, and you reach down there and you feel it. And all you feel is this big old lump of skin and fat and the bone it partially sticks out you can feel your bone right there so when did you get home from the rehab center approximately how long ago uh it's been back in the middle of may okay so I, it's been close to six months right or five months or something yeah something like that yeah yeah okay so how are things going for the over for you for over the past five months well it's you know it's still a royal pain in the, in the butt to sure. have to get into the wheelchair to move around the house and that you know, and not be able to get up and go take the garbage out or do the laundry or dishes like I was doing before, mm-hmm. you know, and that's basically all it is. It's it's an inconvenience until I can get up and start walking on my prosthetic. And with my wife the way she is, you know, we both want somebody to be right there with me to catch me if I start to fall mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. So what's what's up with your prosthetic? I thought you had it, or you don't have it, or I, I do have it. Yeah. I just haven't learned how to walk with it. Okay. I, I, they want me to, I mean, I have to use a walker to start out with. And, and that's fine. Now, I don't have a problem with that because the walker offers you a lot of stability and make, helps you to balance on it and all that stuff. So what, you know, when I talked to my doctor the other day and they're going to ordering me some physical therapy, you know, it's all, I'm only going to be with a walker for a couple of weeks and then I'll be out on my own on the leg, but I still can't not going to be able to take out the garbage and do everything I did before. I'll be able to stand and probably walk, but not up and down the ramp or steps and all that stuff without help. So you've used the walker since when? May? June? Yeah, basically June, yeah. Now, was there an original timetable on the use of the prosthetic, or was it your choice no. to hold up? It's basically mine. Everybody, everybody kept telling me, slow down, slow down, you move too fast. It was like singing... Simon and Garfunkel, the 59th Street Bridge song. Slow down, you move too fast. Yep. Gotta you make, gotta the, make morning the morning last. last. Just kicking down the cobblestones, looking for love and feeling groovy. Well, Talking about hallucinations, know. right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was never the type to just sit back and wait for somebody to do something for me. I was always the one that wanted to get up and do it myself. Sure. And, and now, I mean, when I went blind, I had to ask for help, which was really, really hard for me to do. Now I've got to learn how to ask for help again with stuff that I can't do, you know. So I still obviously still sit at the computer and communicate and all that stuff. But rolling through the house in a wheelchair is not the best thing. Are you back to work? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been working and writing and all that stuff for probably a couple of months now, I think. What about about public speaking? Have you been able to travel at all? No, I I haven't done any public speaking or anything else yet. Sure, but which makes sense. You You can do it on Zoom. That's, That's right. You can, do it, you, can, you can do it on Zoom. So, but I would, I, I am no expert on people using wheelchairs, but I would imagine there will come a time when you'll be, we'll, we'll be able to do laundry and wash oh, yeah. dishes. Yeah. Oh yeah, I will. I mean, yeah. with, we have a with the prosthetic, I mean, it's a matter that this place, we live in a, in a mobile home that is not set up for eight to be ADA compliant. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the counters in the kitchen are when I'm sitting in the wheelchair without my prosthetic, they come up to almost my, you know, uh, my chest. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, and opening up the um, dishwasher to put dishes in, that's maneuvering the chair back and forth, back and forth until I can get to where I need to be and getting through the door to the laundry room and then out the back door. There's barely enough room for the wheelchair. And when I can't see it, I keep banging into the walls and everything else trying to get myself through. So, so no, it, it, is part of your plans to make, to make your house more accessible over time? Is that something you, over you, time we will. Yeah. 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 That, that, that's going to be a long project. I would think, you know, Oh yeah. But we can't do that tomorrow. Gets, yeah. No, this is, that's not going to be an overnight thing. That's for definite. Yeah. Okay. Bob, well, how this are you? Was- 
Yeah, yeah you're, yes. Go ahead, Bob. Okay, you're listening to Win Perspective. My name is Bob Franco, and the other gentleman that just spoke is Peter Alchel. And our guest is Robert Sollers, and he's talking to us about his experience living with amputation as he had his part of his foot and a little bit above his foot removed back, when was it, Robert? April 3rd or 4th? No, it was May. May, it was, okay. Yeah, it took that long for them to figure out that they needed to do it and then do it. So it's time now for our participants to come in and ask you some questions. And so, Ray, could you let us know if there are any hands raised? Absolutely. But I do want, yes, I will. But I also want to remind people it's Alt-Y to raise your hand on PC, Option-Y on Mac, and Star-9 on telephone, and under the More tab for smartphones. And then once you have asked your question or made your statement, we would ask that you mute yourself afterwards. And uh, to unmute on the computer is what? Alt-A? Uh, Alt-A on PC, Command-Shift-A on Mac, star-6 on telephone, and lower-left on smartphones. Okay, so do we have any hands raised? Any um, hands raised? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Well, not yet. Okay. you're more than welcome to raise your hand if you want to ask Robert I will Stoltz. chime in when there are more hands raised. Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, 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 that that would be that would be great. Okay, so um, so what are you doing these days? I mean, aside from getting better, what are you what are you writing? What are you doing on your computer these days? Well, basically, number one is typing down the notes I need for the novelette that I'm starting, in, tentatively entitled "Infection." I'm a just, novelette. You know, I, I'm sorry. A novelette. A novelette, probably That's about twenty five thousand words. Nigel, got... you... sorry. Okay. Nigel has his hand raised, so Nigel, we will take your question. Brother Nigel. Nigel? Try star six. No, he's he's not. Uh, try alt A if you're on Windows. Okay. There you go. There, there he is. is. All right, sorry. Robert, a couple of questions. What is B-U-N? Is that albumin? <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about, Nigel, but hold on just a second. Baby, what does BUN stand for? Okay, she must have left the room and I didn't hear, I didn't hear her leave. Okay. But I honestly don't know what BUN stands for. All I know is it's a matter of your kidney function. Okay, because I hadn't heard of it before. Neither have I. What is the difference between a novelette and a novella? Just in the word count. The way I understand it, a novella is somewhere around 20,000 words or less, a novelette between 20 to 35,000 words. And then obviously, then you get into being a novel. Okay, because I was thinking a novelette was maybe a novel written by a lady. No. <laughs> I am definitely not a lady. Trust me. I know, but I thought maybe your wife was writing it for you. <laughs> no. Or with she's, you a, or she's a writer too, but she's she's not going to write anything that in depth. And uh, okay. To be perfectly okay. honest, some of the stuff that is going to be in this novelette oh, is going to scare people. You might want to shut off um, your chores, brother Nigel. That's okay. Elizabeth Johnson. Okay, we're going to shut off the devices, please. But she has got her hand raised as well. Oh, okay, all right, uh, Nigel. Is there anything else you want to say to to Robert? That's it for now. If I think right. of anything more, you'll yeah, yeah. see please, my hand please, up again. Please do. All right. Thank you for your contribution. We appreciate Elizabeth. it. Elizabeth. Hi. Hi. I just asked my Alexa what does it stand for? It says blood, urine, and nitrogen. Oh, okay. B-U-N. Thank you. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Something to do with, with, with kidney issues, obviously. Yeah. Yes, I yeah. just asked my lady A. So. Well, um, lady, a, lady A is awesome. Thank you. I know. You're welcome. Good, to- good, good topic. <laughs> Thanks, Elizabeth. I appreciate that. Any questions? You're welcome. Good luck. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, so, um, you're, you're thinking of writing a novella, is that what you said, or a novelletta or whatever the a novelette. Yeah. Novelette. And, um, it's going to be based on your hallucinations. Is that yep. sort of what That's you're exactly. I mean, I'm going to put everything down as best as I can remember. Cause obviously there's some things. That even after I started making these notes a month ago, I'm still remembering things that, oh, wait a minute, this happened too. So I thought, you know, and I got to go back in and write it down. Then I got to figure out a way to ending. It's probably not going to be an issue, but it's the starting. How am I going to start this? Whether I started in January or when I went to the hospital or whatever the case may be. Well, if, if, it's, again, a no- if it's a like, novel, you, you can do what you want, right? Yeah, you can, I know. You, you can just, you know, uh, just use your, use your hallucinations as a, as a, as a plot. 
Oh, as, uh, and, yeah. All right, you good. Know, you know, there's no reason to, 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 you know, to base it on what, what you experienced. You know, you can just take, take the, you know, experiences that you experienced and then say, okay, this is a great way to, you know, here, here's a, this is a great yeah. plot and just, and just fill it in. Well, the, and that's what, you know, there's also, you know, I've also thought about putting the very end of this story at the very beginning and in a flashback type thing. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I just, you know, the best way to beat writer's block is just to start writing. No, that's exactly right. And that, <laughs> that, that, that's exactly so, right. Yeah, yeah that's but, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what, so you're, so you're writing. What else are you doing? Basically just answering my mails and, you know, writing my blogs and, you know, doing everything I was doing before, except getting, you know, doing the mundane stuff that everybody takes for granted at this point. You know, taking right. out the garbage, doing laundry, you know. Yeah, do you yeah. still have the business that you had once before? Yes, sir, I do. Solar's Violence Prevention and Training. Training and consult- Consulting. So, so you're, you're also not doing any, any on-site training these days, right? But no, not, not, no, not right now, no. But you, you, you can still try consulting and stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've talked to a couple of people about it, you know, about their issues and everything. I tweet out every day, well, most every day on uh, stuff, some fam- quotes from famous people, as well as my own thoughts on workplace and school violence prevention, as well as security stuff, my Facebook pages, you know, that kind of stuff. You see, I apologize if I have your name mixed up, but you are, you are up next. Okay. No, that's how you say it. Uh, I have two questions. How do you get in and out of a car? And now what do you do when you wake up and have to go to the bathroom in the night if you're not having your prosthesis on? Do you have to remember to get in a wheelchair? (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I do, yeah. And and that's a royal pain to get in and out of the wheelchair in the middle of the night when you really got to go. Okay. getting in and out of a car is basically the same thing as getting in and out of the wheelchair. For the most part, you have to have the slide board that you put, you know, next onto the back seat or front seat, depending on where you're getting, and onto the wheelchair, and then you just slide over. And obviously, you have to stash the slide board with you or in the chair or whatever the case may be. Would I be correct, Robert, if I assume that the fact that you still have your left leg, you can uh, rotate on that, that would help you too? Yeah, it does. It does. It's not as strong as it needs to be, but that's issues that I've had for a long, long time. Not because of the staying in bed for six weeks, which basically, which that's what I was doing. I was in bed for like six weeks before I got up to do anything. So, but I assume you can, you can work on your left leg and strengthen it. Oh, oh yeah. 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 You know, that just is one of those, another task for you to, to accomplish, right? Yep. It's when the physical therapist was coming in in preparation for me getting my prosthetic. Um, he had me standing up on one leg with the walker. And I was, you know, I got to the point where I was standing for seven minutes on just the one leg. And, but then of course, you know, I got the prosthetic and discovered I, you know, the chair or whatever has to be high enough for me to be able to get a good, I don't want to say grip, but a good, uh, to be able to push myself up. If it's lower than what may need, I ain't getting up. If it's, you know, just probably six inches higher than what the wheelchair is, I can get up just fine. Or swinging out of bed, I, I don't have a problem at all with that because that's the same height as uh, what I am mm-hmm. for the most part. Anything else? I can't remember. Musi, was that what your name was? Yeah. No, it's okay. Thank you. Thank, well, thank you for joining us. Thank you. So what is the sort of timeline for you to get on your leg more permanently? You know, what, what is that? What, do you know what that sort of, uh, what the trajectory looks like? Well, the physical therapist and other people have told me it could be as much dirt. But I'm not looking forward to that. I want to be up walking around without either the walker and just having something close by to lean on if I need to within a few months. I mean, and again, I remember I push my, I push myself harder than I would expect somebody else. I have higher expectations of myself than I do practically anybody else. And in order to fulfill the, those expectations, I have to push. And I push and I push. And sometimes people get mad because I push myself beyond the safety limits. So there, 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 there is a danger of excess grit, as they say. Oh, there is. There's no there doubt. Yeah. But, I mean, but, that's, you know. I, I understand what my limits are. And sometimes 
I think my limit is here, but then it's, you know, a step further backwards than I wanted to go. And I ended up not making it to where I wanted it to be. And I have to sit down there do whatever. How long does it take to put on a prosthesis, prosthetic? Well, for me, the problem I have is you got a sleeve that you have to put on over your leg first before you can put the leg on itself. And my issue was I can't, the stump, I was putting it on and I kept getting air in the bottom of the sleeve. And that's only going to cause blisters. So my wife is taken to helping me put on the sleeve. But once the, I can start rolling the sleeve up and I put on the prosthetic, it's a matter of about two minutes. It's that. But it's being able to get it over, for lack of a better term, the lump of, of fat that I've got at the bottom of my stump. So okay. he does so uh, gonna, go next, ahead. I'm sorry. Elizabeth has a con- another comment. Go ahead. Hi. Can you talk a little bit about your company and and uh, what what they do? Service the service they pro- you all provide. Well, simple matter of fact, I try to prevent violence in uh, businesses and schools. And I do that through a, a period, a matter of training. What I consider that everybody else misses because they want to spend millions of dollars that nobody really has. And they refuse to look at the very basics of what causes the issues. And of course, you, with that, you got to get everybody involved from the kids and the parents and the teachers, everybody else involved with it and have everybody buy into that idea of the, basically the behavioral science. So you train people to go out and talk to schools and no, no, no. I, I do it myself. <laughs> okay. I do it myself either, you know, like Bob and Peter were suggesting over zoom or, you know, before mm-hmm. I went out to the different schools or businesses or whatever to do it. Mm-hmm. And the name but of your company again, I'm sorry. It's Sollers violence prevention training and consulting. Okay. Sollers violence prevention.com is the website. Solars, and how do you spell Solars? S-O-L-L-A-R-S. SolarsViolencePrevention.com. That's it. Is that right? Okay. That's it. So before, before, thank you, Elizabeth. You're welcome. Before, before we go, I, I, I'm really curious. You obviously had a support system to, to get, help you get through this or support you to get through all this. Huh? And I want to give you the chance to extol your support system. I assume it starts with your wife. Talk about, <laughs> you know, how, how she supported you in getting through all this and anybody else who is part of that uh, part of your journey. Yeah. It, to be honest, it's taxing on my wife. I mean, it's a lot of stress. It's a lot of headaches and that stuff, but she has been absolutely fantastic throughout this whole process. Do you have visiting nurses? Not anymore. No, I, I had the one visiting nurse. Actually, I only had the nurse come out, visiting nurse come out for the blister on the bottom of stumpy. Which, by the way, that's what I named my leg without the prosthetic, Stumpy. Um, Stumpy? Stumpy, yeah. And Stumpy Stumpy waves and talks to people, you know, whenever they come by, you know, to talk or whatever the case may be. Um, You know, you know, he, he says hi and bye and yes, no, that kind of stuff. Sort of like a puppet. Yeah, there you go. And, uh, you know, to be honest, the support system that I had all the time was the rehab nurses at a Reunion Rehab Hospital here there in Phoenix. Uh, they were fantastic. The entire staff. My wife, of course, like I said, she's been absolutely wonderful despite all the stress and everything else. And there, my four-footed, frisky, finicky feline, Princess General Jasmine. She Princess has been around. Gentle she Jasmine. Is, I'm sorry? Princess, yeah. Princess Gentle Jasmine. Is that what you said? No, General. Oh, General. Yeah. Ah, that she, makes- she is the commanding general of Cat Fleet Security and Operations. I'm not sure cats want to be generals. I thought they wanted to be pirates or something. <laughs> no, not not this cat. I see. Okay. She, she literally has taken care of me as best as she can ever since I got home. After she Instinct- got over the I- idea of the wheelchair and the leg. Instinctively, Robert, I mean, I've heard stories about pets understanding people's disabilities they a do. lot more than we think they do. They do. So is that the case with General here? Does do you think that he understands in his own way what you need to do, what you're going through? She does. She absolutely she does. does. Yeah. I mean, if I need something, she's usually up there on the bed with me. Her and I have conversations, literally. She'll talk to me. 
I'll answer back. I talk to her. She answers back. And then if I need my wife, she runs and gets my wife and says that, you know, I need her or something. Uh, I have been, I've had cats for, you know, all 61 years of my life. And so I've come to understand how to talk to cats and what, how to talk to them, what to talk to them and that kind of stuff. So, but the, you know, the general knows almost instinctively that I need something and she comes up and talks to me, asks me about it. So the general really does uh, find your wife if you, if you really, if you need her. Yeah. Yeah. When, uh, before I lost my paw, as I call it, my hind paw, I'd be sitting on the couch on the couch early in the morning watching the news. And if my blood sugar was too low, she'd just start racing up and down the hall. She'd race up to me, up onto my chest, sniff my nose or in my mouth. She'd jump off me, run up the hallway, jump up on the bed and jump on Eileen. Then she'd come racing, you know, she'd race back and forth four or five times. I have a question. How does a cat know that your blood sugar is too low? Something to do with your breath and yeah. what the air you're ex- exhaling. That's the only yeah. thing I can say. I mean, I, well, I do know that dogs, service dogs are trained to do just that. They're, yeah, they they're are. trained. And I just never thought that cats had the, had the, uh, empathy. That's the wrong word. I'm not sure what the right word. Discipline, uh, loyalty yeah. to do it. You know, I, I have no doubt that they could do it. I just wasn't aware that they I can't imagine having seeing eye cats, you know, that, that, that doesn't, <laughs> that, that doesn't seem to work, but I find that fascinating that, you know, there are therapy cats out there who can do that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and you know, like I say, cats are a lot more intelligent. I believe cats are more intelligent than dogs. They just don't want to show it because then you're going to expect more out of them than you do a dog. It's not a question of intelligence. It's a question of sort of loyalty. Uh, you know, cats traditionally are more independent than dogs, right? They want, they, they want to, they want to rule their own universe. They want to. There's you know, no doubt about that. Yeah. You know, humans are just sort of, you know, pawns in their territory or something, you know, well, whereas dogs are more, you know, I mean, you know, I've had seven guide dogs and they're all terrific, yeah. but they're not cats. Yeah. You know? Well, there was a, uh, if you remember the cartoon, The Far Side by Gary Larson, law back in the mid nineties, I think it was, uh, he had a cartoon that he posted that one half of it was a dog and a human talking to a dog. Okay. Or, and you know, and the dog was looking up at his human and tail was wagging and says, this man feeds me. He loves me. He pets me. He takes care of me. He must be a God. Then the next panel is a cat sitting in front of a human and the cat is thinking to himself, he feeds me. He takes care of me. He loves me. He pets me. I must be a God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, it, and it's true. I mean, I have no doubts. Cats are definitely independent animals, but if they are attached to a human, you know, that that's all there is to it. You couldn't ask for a more loyal animal than a cat if you're attached to it. So I'm, I'm going to make one other comment about all of this. Uh, and that is my first guide dog was a Weimaraner. Uh, okay. Uh, which are, you know, very smart, very mm-hmm. high, strong, very independent dogs on, on the sort of spectrum dogs. And this dog, this Weimaraner, absolutely hated cats and, in fact, would have killed a family cat if my mom hadn't intervened. And I often wondered if, uh, and I sort of half tongue in cheek, if part of the reason, uh, the Weimaraner hated cats so much is because she was too much like the cat, you know, had sort of this, this sort of independent streak because well, Heidi, Heidi was a fabulous dog, but, you know, coming to me for attention was not what she did. She yeah, had other yeah. ways to get attention, you know. Well, I did talk to cat late intelligence. They're going to tell you it's because um, your dog attacked the cat because the cat was smarter than she was and she didn't well, want that around the house. Well, that's possible. I don't think, I don't think the vibe writer would agree with that, but you know. I know, I know. But no, I know, but this, this is all playful stuff. But it is sort of curious, this whole interesting, you know, cat versus dog. And I'm just fascinated by the fact that you're, you know, you as a, you know, as a you know, experienced owner of cats or, or the cat that owns you or whatever it is, the cat decided to, that he was going to be your therapy cat. Yeah. We I'm have a couple sure. of minutes. Sorry, Peter. No, that's all. We have a couple of minutes left, and so, Robert, without any other hands raised, it'll give you an opportunity to just let us know what future goals are, your long-term goals. I know you have to go through a little bit more to help you adjust, and hopefully everything will be okay eventually. But what are your long-term goals for yourself at this point? What would you like to 
go back to, in other words, in a, as a sense of normality for yourself? Well, I've got, you know, I'm going to continue doing my fiction writing. That definitely helps me relax until I get to infection, that novelette I want to do. That's going to be intense. But I've got the other two novels in my series, Legend of Three, I've got to finish. And, of course, with the help and support of Vidin Leonor, you know, they'll turn out to be fantastic books, too. But basically, just keep doing what I'm doing and helping save people's lives through the company. And, you know, just continue to help people enjoy reading, which, you know, as well, you know, so and that's basically it. And you think you will be just about as self-sufficient as you once were? In the long run? Eventually, I will be, yes. I mean, you know, my wife keeps telling me that I'm too damned independent for my own good sometimes. And I can go along with that. See, I regard that as an asset. Well, sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it gets you into trouble, you know. But then again, too, like a mounds and almond joy. Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. (laughs) And and, and on that note, how are you doing, Bob? I would want to make sure we curse in case we may not have if for people that are interested in your previous books or you know places where they can check out more from you could you give your website or any other important information that you would wish people to have sure it's um www.dldbooks slash robert d sollers slash they go there and they'll see the cover designs for all five books actually it'll be six coming up because i have that romance collection coming out that's www.dldbooks.com slash Robert Solis. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I forgot the dot. Sorry. Yeah, you're right. You're and right. Slash, it's slash Robert D. Solers. D. D. As in Dean. Yeah. Robert D. Solers. Oh, your middle initial. Yeah. 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 S-O-L-L-A-R-S. Yes, sir. All right. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for being so sort of transparent and, and about all this. I, I just found this interesting and fascinating. I hope other folks do too. And I, and I really do wish you well. Uh, and we'll bring you back when you have your romance book out. Yeah. Yes. Well, there's no, there's nothing else to be but positive, Peter. Absolutely, Absolutely. nothing. Absolutely. I couldn't but, agree with you I, more. I agree with that too. So yeah. Robert, thank you once again. Good luck thank with you. the remainder of your recovery. Hopefully, and no pun intended when I say this, I hope you get back on your feet sooner rather than later. And There's so nobody makes more jokes like that than I do, Bob. So you're okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know about your jokes. <laughs> Keep them coming. <laughs> Next week on In Perspective, we have another author. His name is Leonard Tuchener. He wrote a book called Merlin. The Magic Turtle. The Magic Turtle. It should yeah, be fun talking about that. So stay tuned on In Perspective next week for Leonard Tuchener. In the meantime, Peter, Robert, Ray, our participants, thank you very much for helping us make In Perspective a quality program as always. Go safe with God's abundant blessings. And have a great week, everyone.